Hey, before we get into this week's episode of The Culture, just a quick reminder that if you want to stay up to date with the show, you can follow it in your favourite podcast app. Just search for The Culture. All right, let's get into it. Hey there, I'm Osman Faruqi and welcome to another episode of The Culture, a weekly show from Schwartz Media where we take a deep dive into the latest in the world of music, streaming, TV, film and everything in arts and entertainment. Today on the show, we're talking about the young Gamilaroi kid who grew up in Waterloo, New South Wales and now has the number one album on the US Billboard charts. He's the Kid Leroy, and his album, Fuck Love, is taking the world by storm. The Kid Leroy is only 17, but in the last couple of years, he's dropped his debut EP, been mentored by the likes of Juice World, and signed an international record deal. He's collaborated with Miley Cyrus, and his most recent single, Stay, features one of the biggest pop stars ever, Justin Bieber. The success of his album makes The Kid Leroy the first Australian-born solo artist to top the US charts since Sia back in 2014. And he's also the first Indigenous artist to top the chart ever. So all of this got me thinking, where's the fanfare? Why aren't Australian media outlets falling all over themselves to cover one of the most exciting musical acts and musical stories to come out of the country in decades? Why isn't he on the front page of magazines and newspapers every day? To talk about why and to talk about the phenomenal rise of the Kid Leroy, I'm joined by a pioneer of the Australian hip-hop scene. As part of the duo Coolism, he won the first ever ARIA Award for Best Urban Release and has gone on to mentor many, many, many artists in the industry here in Australia. And he's also, of course, the much-loved host of the hip-hop show on Triple J. How Latikafu, thank you so much for joining me on The Culture this week. AKA the Fob Father. Yes, a pleasure. Thank you, Oz. Look, as as a pioneer of the hip hop movement in this country, you know you won the first ever Ari Award for best urban release with your act Coolism. What, what's it like for you to see the Kid Leroy achieve this massive international success and become the first, you know, not just Australian but Indigenous hip hop artist to reach number one in the US? Well, that's it. You know, it's it's such a beautiful thing after being a part of uh, this culture and trying to push. Uh, you know, different aspects of the culture into mainstream and, and onto the global stage. It's beautiful to see, beautiful to bear witness. Uh, I come out of the school of the late 80s, early 90s, and then becoming artists and then moving into other roles in the industry and always trying to push style, but also trying to push culture, the voices of Australia. And for the Kid Leroy to be the artist of the moment, is awesome you know like you said it's not only an Australian artist but it's an Indigenous Australian artist and what better way to have an artist in that position to be a part of that culture at such a young age and you know I'm sure we're going to see many many years to come as well yeah and so let's talk about how we got there 
He's Camilleroy, and his family hails from the Camilleroy Nation, which is one of the largest Indigenous nations in Australia, centred around northwest New South Wales. And good friend of mine, Maddie Heyman Reba, uh, she's also Camilleroy. She pointed out to me that his name, the Kid Leroy, is him paying respect to his nation. Mm. Uh, he spent a lot of his formative years in Waterloo, in inner city Sydney. He started rapping at the age of 13. He released his debut EP, 14 with a Dream, which had this huge track, Blessings. That goes on to become a big single for him. It gets into the finals of the Triple J Unearthed High competition. It had a lot of people asking, who is this kid? Where did he come from? Can you tell me a bit about his early days and his story? Yeah, it actually starts before, um, you know, him staying in Waterloo, starting out in Adelaide. Yeah, I just remember seeing a video on Facebook, like, I don't know how long now, nearly eight, nine years ago or something. Um, it was just this little young kid that everyone was posting. I was like, who is this kid? then uh, I believe he moved to rural New South Wales and then it really was when he set up camp in um, Sydney in, in Sydney he was hanging around and mentored by people like Ziggy and Ricky Ricky is just uh, a, you know like me he loves the culture he cares about the culture you know he uh, is of Indonesian descent so you know he understands there's more culture here in Australia than people give us credit for and he just a big fan of music and Ziggy brought him in you know to help not only develop him as a an artist and as a brand but just as a, a young person and with a lot of these artists that come from a certain background from a certain struggle it's not always about the art you know what I mean it's, it's about developing as a as a person especially if you come from uh, tough circumstances and I think the mixture of Ziggy being like a tastemaker someone that's in the culture West Sydney through and through they just had a good combination and a good understanding of how the Kid Leroy should move and at that time Ziggy and Ricky in particular were a part of a a camp who as a whole were really pushing a new sound and new face of hip-hop and R&B in Australia in God's speed in that camp, you had Be Wise, you had Miracles, now known as Blessed, Manu Crooks, Dopamine, Manny was in there, Will Start. So it really was this cutting edge crew that were pushing a new sound and new voice and, uh, and like I said, just a new culture. Australia, because for so many years it was getting quite bland, and I was, for me, being someone of my background and, and trying to push a similar thing, it was like, oh man, this is not as cool as I thought it was going to turn out. But you know, these young kids, not only in Sydney but little pockets around Australia, were, were really pushing this new sound, and uh, Leroy was a part of that, and he was just soaking up so much, learned a lot from that crew. But not only that, he just had that work ethic and fearlessness about him. I remember going to a Manu Crooks listening party and I walked in there and there was this little kid. I was like, oh, that's cute. Someone's 
brought their kid along <laughs> to, you know, to bear witness to, at that point was, you know, quite a momentous occasion as well. Mm. And um, he comes up and he's like, hey man, I'm the Kid Leroy. I was like, oh shit, you're Kid Leroy, the one I've been hearing about. And it was just that energy and that fearlessness of going out to people and talking and learning and then seeing him in the studio, how he was operating, working in the computer, jumping up to the mic, writing on the spot and just people in awe everywhere he went. And even this story that I've told a couple of times of giving him a lift from the Kendrick Lamar show to his spot in Waterloo with my wife. And he, him just, you know, if you're in Sydney, you know, it's quite a trek. It's mm. like half an hour, mm. 40 minutes. And just him talking the whole way. And my wife looking at me like, who is this kid? You know, and we were like, okay, well, I'll play some stuff. You know, like, what are you listening to? He's like, oh, I'll put this on. And, and, you know, typical kid of that age would just let the song go for 30 seconds. Oh, no, no, I play this song, play this song. Oh, this was. And my wife said, you know, that is the first time I've ever seen you not know artists that someone has said. You yeah, know, wow. usually someone said, oh, have you heard this? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was like naming all these artists and I was like, oh, no, I haven't heard that. And, you know, just he just had that energy and, and to see him where he's at right now, it, it at the same time does, you know, it makes sense, but at the same time doesn't. You know, it's just still mind-blowing to see, you know, photos with him and Bieber. You mentioned that it was really when he landed in Sydney and connected with this community of pretty boundary-pushing producers, managers and artists that his career really started to take off. Mm. Can you tell me a bit more about those people and why they were so critical to his success? Yeah, definitely. Um, one name I, I left out of that when I was kind of giving a bit of roll call was JD as well. And, and, and Kid Leroy name checks JD in a couple of songs. And yeah, they just played not only um, very influential with, with music, but just like you said, community. And, you know, they not only looked after him when he was in certain environments, but looked after him in general. You know, he had a tough upbringing, a single mother, had a younger brother who he felt he had to look after, being the man of the house as well. And so a lot of things in his life that a lot of other kids experience as well, but don't have that opportunity of being who they're supposed to be, if you know what I mean. You know, they get forced to grow up quickly and see things that a lot of us don't expect to see at that age. And but he's taking it all in and with the help of this community that he was surrounded with, they really helped him develop his artistry and also as a, a young man. Uh, I mean, that you know, young man saying like he was like 12, 13, 14. So. But he definitely had an old soul about him. And, you know, people he was looking up to artists like Manu Crooks and Be Wise and they just took him under his wing because I think they just understood... Um, his journey, you know, just being a young Australian and, and the mainstream not caring about not only his music, but him as a person. And so a lot of these kids were of African, South Pacific uh, heritage. And, you know, they just understood each other, understood the sound, understood the struggle of their music not being recognised. And so it's given them this attitude of like, oh, okay, so you're not going to let us in, sweet. We're going to create our own thing. And that's exactly what happened. And it was just beautiful to see. And myself working at Triple J, I was, I was, 
you know, in a fortunate position to be able to push that music, like the new Money mm. Crooks, the new Be Wise, mm. the new I Am Solos. Just like, need to check these guys out, you know, even stepping into the studio, I just felt that energy, that fearlessness again, and like, man, something is really happening here, it's exciting, it's the new face of, of Australian not only hip-hop and R&B but music and you know we had we had the Sampers we had the Remy's elsewhere but this was really happening in, in Sydney and it was, it was awesome to bear witness We're going to take a quick break and be right back Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, The Saturday Paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. Why do you think it took this long for something like this to happen? Is it You talked about how... Up until this sort of moment over the last couple of years, you, you, you were seeing a lot of stuff that didn't feel as fresh or as interesting. And then hearing you talk about this ecosystem and the role everyone's playing, it sort of seems almost like a bit of a perfect storm where you've got younger artists willing to take risks. You've got a group of people who can mentor them and shepherd them and, and collaborate with them. And then you've got people like yourself if, who can champion them. Is it just a case of it took this long in Australia for all of those bits and pieces to come together to elevate these sorts of artists? Definitely. It definitely was the perfect storm. You know, I think timing is everything. You know, we could have had a Kid Leroy 10 years ago, but it just wouldn't have worked because the climate wasn't ready. I mean, we had artists at the, coming out at that time, you know, like, I mean, even for ourselves, coolism. Here's a little story that must be. The music that we were making, I just always felt we were just too far ahead. We were too genre-defining to be truly embraced by people. People got it. And we were always that critically acclaimed group, which I loved because peer respect is, for me, outweighs everything else. It's K-O-A, man, kiss our eyes. This one's for the crew. But outside of that, you know, just never really transferred into to selling out shows, to be included in festivals and all that things. So I, you know, coming from that background, I, I knew how that felt and, and what it took to kind of overcome that. So when, like you said, all the pieces were just coming together at that right time. Monty Crooks was just breaking and everyone was just ready for it. You know, there's new generations coming through that weren't, connecting with the hilltops when connecting with the bliss and SOs or the drafts or the illies they just felt that it wasn't for them but then these young kids are coming through children of immigrants children of, of refugees and, and it was this new generation of Australians and that were listening to 
you know, the Travis Scotts and listening to the Kendricks and the Drakes mm. and were just influenced mm. and inspired by different things and really turning it into their own. And it was Manu Crooks and Remy and Sampa and Wise kind of leading the charge with the Kid Leroy not too far behind them. Yeah, I want to talk about that as well because I think the fact that this generation of artists are kind of taking their inspiration more from the States than from, I guess, the last decade of Australian hip-hop, broadly speaking, it's pretty noticeable when you listen to it, right? So even though someone like the Kid Leroy was working within that Sydney hip-hop scene and he's collaborated with other Australian acts, you know, including 1-4. I'm like the jail of the Drake in my city. Fuck what they say, they won't say that shit to me. I'm in that town, my brothers is with me. But... When you listen to the music, it, it seems much more in sync with artists like Juice World, Lil Mosey, even, you know, fresher stuff like Ian Dior. How would you describe how he fits into the uh, broader hip-hop or music ecosystem right now? Yeah, he's definitely... Um, I think that, and that was the beauty of what he was creating or what they were creating as a whole that whole camp was um and i must say also the internet obviously played a big part of Hmm. this change you know like when i was coming up the internet wasn't a thing um even when the hilltop hoods and and all those guys were really selling out arenas and really becoming big you know the internet was was there but wasn't as influential as it was until the young people really kind of gravitated towards that and and took it um Onto themselves and 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 yeah, you know it, it's it's hard not to be influenced by uh, by things on the internet. You know, a kid from you know rural New South Wales is listening to something a kid made in Atlanta. You know, and and if he likes it and he connects with it, then that's what he's going to make. And um, you know, with the internet too, like regional sounds just became not a thing anymore. Mm. You know, especially you know, you know, artists like ASAP Rocky came out. You know, he was coming from Harlem, but he had this strong Southern influence, and everything just became a worldwide sound. And so, it was someone like Kid Leroy, who was listening to a lot of music by artists either his age or not too much older. You know, of course, he's going to make a, sounds like that. You know, when I hear like Kid Leroy, I hear someone like O Seven O Shake. It's just that raw. I don't know you, you could call it street, but it, I guess it's just raw that raw energy and that raw emotion, and and that's what the kid Leroy makes, and and he just makes music that kids his age and a bit older really connect with, and and that's where it really happens is when people invest in you emotionally, that's when things really start to pop off. Traditionally in the Australian music industry, including in hip-hop, and I think acts like Bliss Nesso, the Hilton Puts, are an example of this, where, you know, you kind of, you mess around the underground for a while, you get that breakthrough success, you get signed to a major label, you tour, you sell out festivals in Australia, and then you kind of try and take that overseas. And very few Australian hip-hop acts have been able to do that. The Hilltop Woods are one, you know, big example of that. But it seems like with the Kid Leroy 
he bypassed a big step, which was the local stuff. He signed straight away to a big international label in the States, uh, bypassing a lot of the local scene. And that's obviously not to disrespect or disregard everything you've been talking about that nurtured him, got him to that point. But I, I have found it interesting that he went straight from that kind of EP and that track and almost straight from Triple J Unearthed High to the States. Do you think that was maybe like a missed opportunity for the industry in Australia? Was there something, does it say something about what big music execs here are are supporting or not supporting and maybe what they're listening to or seeing as a breakthrough act? Mm. It's a very interesting question because, you know, we, we mustn't also hide the fact that he was on a development deal with Sony, so there was, you know, and I think Petrina had a lot to do with that. You know, she is of the culture. She understands, you know, music. She understands the artists. You know, she's been in there, and then she was part of Sony Company, and so you know, there there were eyes and ears on him. But I think also just at that time, people were scared to take that chance. You know, I think because there wasn't a Leroy here, so there was no knowing that it would work here. And, you know, I kind of feel like, well, it happened the way it did because it was meant to be, you know, like it's, it's like those basketballs, you know what I mean? It goes high school straight to the NBA. That's just how it is. You know, you just, you're just ready for it at that time. And he was, you know, and I, I also think we also mustn't discredit the fact that he had already been making music for five, six, seven years you know what I mean? It's not like he decided to make it in the last couple of years and then all of a sudden blew up, you know? And, and, I, and I think um, people on the States saw it, knew it, understood it, had seen that story many, many times and and were like, yep, yeah, okay, if no one's doing it, we're just going to take him. And, and, you know, I think it was for the best. You know, we weren't ready as a country and, and America was. And for a lot of people like Leroy, America is the end game. Not the end game, but it's a big part of the game. And it, it just all worked. And just to see that kind of ascension in a year, year and a half is wild. We're going to take a quick break and come back in a second. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship, and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. How seeing the Kid Leroy's meteoric rise is pretty surreal, I have to say. I mean, I remember when you and I were both living in Sydney, part of the local hip-hop scene there. I was living around Redfern when the Kid Leroy was in that kind of unearthed high phase Mm. and thinking, well... This kid that everyone's talking about, he's pretty good. I hope he does well. <laughs> he keeps at it and he can really be something. <laughs> and, and and if it's surreal for me to see it, it must be it must be wild for people like you. I mean, let's 
Let's talk about his his recent massive massive success. Mm. Like it seems like almost every month he reaches a new height, which is just extraordinary. And, it's like and, how and, you gonna, how's he going to top this time? And totally. He just does, yeah. yeah, and and for people like us who've been watching him come up for a while, I think we've been clocking it. You know, we clock all these new mm. achievements, these records, and whatever. But I think there was this moment early this year where it started to resonate and cross over into a lot more mainstream Australians' consciousnesses. And I think that was a particular moment when Miley Cyrus jumped on uh, the track without you and then he did Saturday Night Live <laughs> with, with Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Miley Cyrus and the Kid Leroy. Now we've seen him collaborate with Bieber. I'd be fucked up if you can't be right here. I do the same thing I told you that I never would. I told you I changed even when I knew I never could. Know that I can't just how big is this for a local artist? It's wild, you know. Like, I mean, I think you wouldn't kind of second think it if it was a pop artist. I mean, he is a pop artist now, hmm. but you know, you think it was a pop artist like uh, what's that group that Fifty Seconds, Five Seconds of Summer, yeah, from Paris. Five yeah. Seconds of Summer, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and you like they sell out the garden or whatever, and you're just like, oh yeah, cool, you know, because. That's what it's meant to be yeah. for those kind of artists. But for someone that comes from the trenches and an Aboriginal kid, it's it's unheard of. It's not meant to happen, really, but it has. And, and you know, it's just wild. Because we all knew, like, he was destined for great things. But then when you see it actually unfold, you're like, oh, wow, it really is happening, you know. And, um, you know, I can't sit here and, and say that I was madly involved in his come up, you know, because there were definitely some people there that were really hands-on with him and helped him to get to this point. But, yeah, like you and I just sometimes we can sit outside of that circle as just fans and just watch and marvel. And, yeah, it's I was about to say it's, it's astronomical. I don't even <laughs> know where. I never use that word, but it just came in my head. So let's say it. It's astronomical, man. It's, uh, will we see it again? Who knows? You know, like, could this be a lightning in the bottle moment? I, I'm not sure, but let's just, you know, acknowledge it, appreciate it, and celebrate it, man. It's beautiful. Yeah, I love that. I, I want to talk to you about the kind of impact that it might have on, on other artists in Australia in a second. But as one thing that has really stood out to me, and I'm sure this is something that you felt your entire career, watching his rise and watching the love and support and attention and success he's getting in America, at some point it jars with the lack of focus, particularly <laughs> in the mainstream media here in Australia. Yeah. You know, throughout his entire kind of rise to fame is this thing of how little attention has been paid to him. Obviously, there's big exceptions to that. Triple J, as you said, and you in particular have championed him for a long time. But I remember when he was on Saturday Night Live, I remember doing the mm. research on this. I went and read articles from all the major news websites in Australia. There were more stories that mentioned Elon Musk and Miley Cyrus <laughs> than mentioned the kid Leroy. And this is an Australian kid why do you think that is why do you think there's this disconnect man I, I i i don't know man i'm kind of speechless with how like you said the lack of attention uh, you know he should be on the front of papers magazines everywhere i mean even before that it should have been you know what i mean but i i, I do think it has something to do with the music he makes you know i mean the, the music that we make 
you know, has never gotten that kind of respect in this country ever. But like he pointed out, you know, besides a few kind of outlets, but um, yeah, it's mind boggling, you know, and at the same time, it's not, you know, it's the typical Australian way. Like you have to get big elsewhere. Mm. You know, before people, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the kid Leroy is Australian he's from here and from there. And yeah, you know, I did this tweet because uh, I was pissed off like a while ago. I was like, if you never wrote anything in support of the kid Leroy three years ago, then don't start writing it now. Yeah, you know, if you don't, you, just, yeah, you, if you can't handle kid Leroy when he's coming up, you don't deserve kid Leroy when he's huge and number one. <laughs> exactly, you know, because it just pissed me off. Like, you can't, or even just of, of the music he makes. You know, like, because we know there are certain media outlets and certain radio stations that won't touch the music otherwise, don't start now, you know. I mean, I'm happy for him to get it, but, you know, it's just that hip-hop attitude in me is like, man, I fuck you. <laughs> you know, don't, don't come here now, man, like, you know, showing your support and, you you know, I kind of think it's a bit performative, you know, like a, a lot of the love that he gets, but, you know, he, he deserves it, you know, and... and when you see a kid that comes from a struggle and then, you know, doing well for his family, you can't help but be happy. For sure. And I think, I don't think any of this negatively impacts him. I think if Australian media doesn't want to get on board, he's doing fine anyway. <laughs> to me, it's more about what it says about what we value here and, and sort of maybe how behind the times we are. I think you're spot on mm. that this kind of music, despite hip hop or hip hop and R&B or this newer sort of, hip-hop becoming basically what is pop music now in the States. That's the default category for most people, what they listen to and what charts. It doesn't really feel like that here yet. You know, we're not geared to to think about that. I, I remember talking to um, my boy Mahmood Fazal on this podcast a few months ago when we were talking about the Western Sydney hip-hop scene in general and mm. just how a lack of interest there was there from them. And he's And he pointed out that Every random day, there'll be more stories about Delta Goodrum than Kid Leroy. No disrespect <laughs> to Delta Goodrum, like good on her and for what she's done, mm. but she's not making tunes that are connecting with this many people as the Kid Leroy is. Nah, definitely not. But in in Australia, maybe. But I just think, I don't know. You know, Australians just love Delta. Australians love David Campbell. You know what I mean? <laughs> so they're always gonna. Hey, David them, Campbell's yeah. a, a fan of this podcast. We love David Campbell. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I like him too, man. You know, like when I see him, his tweets and how what he truly is. I'm like, how are you working on this show? But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, it it uh, it definitely is the music because people are still scared of the music. People are still denying the talent from places like Southeast Melbourne or mm. Western Sydney, mm. and because you know traditionally we're taught to think that nothing good comes out of there. Mm. You know what I mean? And and I, I think for major corporations or major outlets, they just don't want to recognize that. Um, and, you know, I, sad to say, but it, it might take a couple of Kid Leroy's to, to change that. Yeah, let's talk about that too, because I think the other exciting thing about this is even though, you know, maybe some labels are slow to catch onto this, some media outlets are slow to catch onto this, there's never been a time where it's been easier for young people, young artists to just get directly inspired and make their own stuff. You can just watch your favorite artists on YouTube. You can listen to them on SoundCloud. You can give this stuff a crack. What kind of impact do you think the Kid Leroy's success is going to have on the local scene here? Do you think that it could inspire a new generation of artists? Do you think it could shift conversations in the industry about what to what to scout for and what to nurture? 
man, I think it's already happening, you know, and it might have even been happening before Bieber and before, you know, Elon Musk, you know, I already felt like his presence was being appreciated in the scene anyway, in the culture by a lot of people and them people watching the Ascension from then on and and for the people that just caught on like the last six months or so, definitely influential and inspirational, especially for young indigenous Australians and it's only for the better, you know, it just, it's that tried and true story of sticking to your guns and making it, you know, and you can do it too, regardless of your cultural background, circumstances, um, obstacles, there is a pathway for you if you dedicate and focus yourself. And the Kid Leroy is a perfect example of that, you know, and I mentioned before just about how hard he was working in the studio and, uh, you know, it's that age-old saying, of, like, talent doesn't mean anything if your drive doesn't match, you know, and he was matching in all facets of his game and look where he is, his proof is in the pudding. Hal, thank you so much for chopping this up with me today. Oh, pleasure, man. Anytime. Shout out to Dave Campbell. <laughs> Shout out to Dave Campbell. The Culture is a weekly show from Schwartz Media. It's produced by Bez Zoder and Atticus Basto. Our editor-in-chief is Eric Jensen, and our theme music is by Hermitude. I'm Osman Faruqi. See you next week. Listener.